the one that you definitely enjoy watching as we continue on with giving you all the information you need in order to feel like you're fulfilled and understand what's going on in the world of sports. Let's start out right now. I'm your host, Donovan McNabb, joined with Armando Segarra. We're going to hit it hard as we go into college football to start, where the talk right now of what's going on with Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. Michigan right now is ranked one of the top three schools in the country by the way that they've been playing. J.J. McCarthy is a Heisman Trophy candidate. Their running back quorum uh, is coming back off of an injury but still playing at an elite level. Uh, defensively, they've shown that they can play with anyone uh, and have a few pros on that team from the words that I've been given by a lot of uh, the scouts as well as uh, just from the eye test. Uh, but more importantly, the conversation has been about what's going to happen to Jim Harbaugh. Now, if you don't know and you haven't been paying attention, uh, there's been a sign-stealing situation going on in the Big Ten where uh, so-called a guy that's been hired by uh, the Michigan University uh, football team has been traveling around spying on other teams that Michigan has been playing against. Uh, to write down uh, and copy their their signs for the football team to get an, an advantage, so to speak, to understanding what they're doing on different plays and be able to have an answer. Armando, in your eyes, do you see this as a problem? Do you see this as blown out of proportion? Or will the hammer come down on Jim Harbaugh? Oh, man, I, I wish I had a hammer handy for, you know, like... <laughs> I wish I had a hammer handy for, you know, kind of props. Um, no, yeah, of course the hammer is going to come down. And it's as we sit here, you know, Thursday morning taping this, it hasn't yet. And everybody's predicting that it will. Let's, he is likely going to get suspended. Uh, the question by the Big Ten, the question is for how long? It could be, you know, three games which is what the Big Ten uh, auspices of their rule book says that they can do. It could be more. Let's go beyond that. Because okay. I, I was looking up Michigan yesterday as I was doing all my due diligence <laughs> for this segment. And I, I, re I saw that the Michigan Law School, Donovan, is a top 10 law school in the country according to u.s news and world report <laughs> so michigan produces a lot of lawyers <laughs> and my guess is that michigan will not go quietly into the night without there a lot of lawyers getting involved whatever the big 10 does whatever happens here in the next 24 to 72 hours the a lot of lawyers on Michigan's part are going to come at the Big Ten and the Big Ten commissioner, whomever, with major guns in their holster. They're not bringing a knife to a gunfight. Uh, they're going to come out, you know, uh, all barrels loaded. And what it's going to turn into is a lot of fun for us. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of fodder, right. but I don't think Harbaugh is going to go, okay, you got me, you suspend me. I don't think that's the way it's going to go. 
they are going to defend themselves and they are going to defend themselves aggressively. Well, I, I think they have to, and it's rightfully so because this is the, this is my experience with college football and, and NFL football. They're very similar. Um, is it an advantage? It could be. Um, is it something that's blowing out, blowing up way out of proportion? Absolutely, it is because everyone in every league, no matter if it's college or foot or NFL, finds a way to try to get an advantage. Uh, and if you're doing the same signs and everyone is starting to pick up on your tendencies, then yes, I'm going to watch and see what you do. Now, as far as college and NFL is concerned, while I played, we had, I guess, what people would look at as an advantage because if we see a sign that's been been going over and over and over again, yes, we have people that are watching for uh, different tendencies, what you may do, your coach, uh, if he's sitting there and he doesn't have the menu in front of uh, his mouth and he's talking through uh, the earpiece. And yes, we'll pick up on that. We're, we're lip readers. Uh, we're also sign readers. Uh, and so we know that you're bringing a safety blitz because you've sent that sign out to your defense and we have that answer. Yes. We're going to be able to pick up on that as well. But this is the thing that, that bothers me through this whole deal is I think it's because it's Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines while we're blowing this thing up. If it was Nick Saban, it would be the same thing. Kirby Smart, it would be the same thing. But if this was the Indiana Hoosiers or the Purdue Boilermakers or the Temple Owls, we would not be talking about this. And we we wouldn't. And and I think for what we're seeing, it's a little bit of, I think it's a funny situation because everyone now has to give their take on it. But it puts so much onus and pressure on the presidents of the Big Ten to have to suspend him possibly for four games because he's already been suspended for two games. But if he gets suspended for another two games, it's not going to be enough. If he gets suspended for four games, it won't be enough. And if the Michigan Wolverines find themselves in a playoff run and possibly win a championship, how would that dark cloud be over the Michigan Wolverines? Right. And and so the Big Ten sent Michigan a letter saying, we're looking at you, we're looking (laughs) at the side eye, and we think you did something wrong. And Michigan had 24 hours to respond, and they did. And the beauty of it is, once you get the back and forth, people start tripping all over themselves. Michigan's response, in part, read as follows, as reported by Yahoo Sports. It's highly dubious that a junior analyst's observations about the other side signals would have a material effect on the integrity of competition. (laughs) What? what? First of all, the junior analyst obviously had an effect because you, you know, first you suspended him and now he's gone. The junior analyst was on your sideline. The junior analyst was on the headset. And whenever he spoke into the headset, the the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator would perk up and start talking into their menu vigorously. It's like (laughs) it looked like the junior analyst had a big role on game day. And the junior analyst at times stood right next to Jim Harbaugh. So that that's that's a bad look. Secondly, um, I mean, 
it's not a big deal. They also went and, and said the other guys are doing it too. They said that Ohio State and Rutgers colluded to steal their signs and, and disseminate that. That's the, hey, uh, yeah, I ran the red light, but other people are running the red light defense. And that doesn't work. I'm sorry. That doesn't work. It, it's not going to work, but if they have evidence on that, then that's something that they can use as credible evidence. Uh, because I, I think, in a sense, this is college football. Like, this is something – it's just like baseball. If I'm if I'm a coach, yes, I hire some other coaches that are doing a specific job. I might hire a coach that uh, works with the infielders, works with the pitchers, works with the catchers, works with the outfielders. I got a couple uh, graduate assistants that are – you know, just kind of there and learning, but they're specifically watching the third base coach over there, looking to see at what signs they're given or watching uh, the coach that's, that's given the signals to the catcher to throw whatever pitch. And so maybe I can signal whatever it needs to be out to uh, the batter, a la the Houston Astros by hitting the trash can uh, for Armando, who may not even know that about baseball. Uh, <laughs> these are things that, that happen in sports. So I just think from where we are, from a standpoint of understanding what's going on in the world, and I'm I'm awaiting it just like everyone else, but I just think it's blown way out of proportion. It's my opinion. That's the way that I feel. And I think it will come down in a sense of uh, possibly him being suspended for two or three games. Um, but they really have to be specific on what games those are. Because I believe they play Penn State this weekend, if I recall. Uh, and they have Ohio State uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. So if they specifically say that you can't coach in certain games, then now that becomes it becomes personal to me that you're specifically sitting them out of those particular games for a reason. So so let me let me take a different tact here because as we've seen for years and years, the NCAA really loves uh, institutions of higher knowledge that self-report, that, you know, that raise their hand and say, I did this, I, I, I need to be punished. And then the punishment gets shrunk down a little bit. I would say to you that it would be brilliant by Michigan, who is trying to win a national title and believes it has a national title type team to kind of step in front of the Big Ten, step in front of the commissioner, step in front of the, the NCAA investigation that'll take about 4,700 years uh, <laughs> and, and say, look, we're going to, we're going to discipline Jim Harbaugh ourselves. We're gonna step in and and suspend him. On the idea that Jim Harbaugh, if your team is good enough, they're going to win without Jim Harbaugh, but then you get him back for the college football playoffs. You get him back in time to win what is the ultimate goal. And my question to you is now you are, uh, my understanding is because you've, you've bragged about it many, many times. Um, a board member, a trustee <laughs> at a major NCAA institution. You are big. 
<laughs> in certain in certain institutions of higher learning right. uh, Syracuse and so if you were a board member at at Michigan and they presented you with the idea of hey let's self-discipline before these other dudes get to us what would your reaction be I get the feeling that it's like hell no but I, I want to get you <laughs> on the record uh on the record and me being a former a former athlete, I would definitely say no. We we should let this process kind of work itself out. I think they will see that it's much more it's it's not as big as they think it is. Uh, and if he suspended two games, at least we get a chance to probably get through our, our tougher games and then maybe have them sit out the the last two games or whatever games that they decide to choose. Also, uh, from a experience standpoint the same thing that i mentioned i i just think that it's blown way out of proportion because this is what everybody's doing and and the fact that it feels almost personal that they pointed the finger right at harbaugh uh now don't get me wrong they have video of the guy who was at central michigan they had him uh at a couple other spots but this is the thing that's funny to me so are we just allowing anybody on the sideline in the school's apparel like, how, how did they not know who the guy was? How did he get the coaching polo shirt, the, the coach's hat, him standing right next to the coaches, if this is the video that they have? So is he still, is he working with other universities? Or is this just something that we're saying, oh, well, he was on Michigan sideline. And so he was able to get all of these other schools uh, information of what signals they're sending, what it means. Uh, what is it saying? And then report back. Because I can guarantee you this. If he was working with Michigan, oh, I'm sure he was collecting checks from someone else, from a couple other schools, of what Michigan was doing and what some of these other schools that he was at was doing. Eventually, this guy is going to talk. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, if, if I am Jim Harbaugh, if I am the University of Michigan – I know he's going to talk. I know what the truth is. If I'm going to defend myself, I better do it with the idea that he's going to talk. And whatever he knows is going to get out there. I better make sure that my narrative fits, you know, whatever he might say. Because if he talks and kind of like, you know, pulls back the curtain and I'm naked, I better get myself some clothes. <laughs> Uh, that that would be very bad because I don't want to be showing everybody my nakedude in when Connor Stallions starts to starts to yap. That's 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 gonna happen. Well, it will happen, and let's just make sure that you're not naked or any of them are naked because I don't think anybody really wants to see that. But since since we're going to that phase and and talking about coaches talking. Let's move on with uh, the New York Jets and, and Robert Sala and being in an interview talking about his quarterback situation. Um, obviously, we've all seen how Zach Wilson has played. We've seen how poorly this offense looks from an offensive line standpoint, uh, a play calling standpoint, uh, a great defense. Uh, Robert Sala was asked uh, on radio about Trevor Simeon. Now, 
for those who don't know about Trevor Simeon, Trevor Simeon is an experienced quarterback who played in Denver. Uh, I believe he went to Northwestern. Um, I'll make sure I look up that, but I believe that he went to Northwestern. Smart quarterback, uh, more of a backup type of quarterback. Uh, for them to even mention Trevor Simeon on radio was hilarious to me of possibly being an answer. But when he was asked about possibly giving Trevor Simeon a chance uh, and see what he can do, and Robert Sala choked up a little bit uh, and sounded like um, the guy from The Golden Child when he was hitting the thing and was like, can I have the knife? You know, where Eddie Murphy <laughs> was like, please. <laughs> but, what are your thoughts on, on Robert Sala? And then we'll get to the Chicago Bears and, and their coach of, of his comments through the press conference. But for Robert Sala at this situation, is it getting better for him at all? No, it's not getting better. They're worse off. I wrote on OutKick this week that a year later, after all this improvement and all these high expectations, a year later, the New York Jets are worse off than they were last year. Right. Uh, without all those moves, without and that is not an opinion. Their record is worse than it was at this time last year. And so the take in, in the greater New York metropolitan area is that Robert Sala was caught off guard and he doesn't want to say something nasty about Zach Wilson. So he 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 actually said, I plead the fifth. Right. Um right when he was asked why not trevor simeon and everybody took it as zach wilson stinks i would say to you my experience dealing with nfl coaches for over 30 years is he pleaded the fifth because trevor simeon sucks and so what is the man gonna do you <laughs> big idiot nerd reporter you haven't you seen trevor simeon play He's not an answer. He knows the offense less than the guy that's been here for two years or three years. Uh, I'm going with the guy that has a better arm, that has more institutional knowledge and may or, and is more mobile because our offensive line stinks. And so he can't say that because he can't blow up Trevor Simeon like that. Uh, and you know, you can't blow up any player like that. Right. My sense is that that's where he was thinking, not necessarily, well, I don't know why I can't bench Zach Wilson. I don't think it was a Zach Wilson, uh, you know, thought in his mind. It was Trevor Simeon's not better than Zach Wilson. And I got to be honest with you. I agree with him. I, I don't agree. Think Yes, 100%. I'm, I'm right along with you. Uh, I mean, as, as, as much as analysts like to say, well, he has a great upside or scouts like to say the upside of, of a player, I think we've gotten a, a pretty good look of what Zach Wilson is. Um, and Zach Wilson is a guy, to me, uh, right now his confidence is rattled. Uh, two, uh, can he play quarterback in this league? I still believe he can but it depends on what level you're looking for him to play at. If you're a guy that has uh, a strong run game, uh, a strong defense, uh, then yes, you can bring the ground and pound aspect of, of what Rex Ryan did with, with Mark Sanchez. Um, he has the mobility. I don't understand why they're not getting him outside the pocket, utilizing his mobility, limiting 
the field uh, of being able to, you know, hit the hit the nice check down or or possibly hit a hit a crossing route or, or use his legs. That's the things that I'm looking at when you have a struggling quarterback. You have to find ways to get him outside the pocket. And everything that we're seeing right now, like Nathaniel Hackett, maybe get enamored of what Zach Wilson is doing in practice. But at the end of the day, you have to understand what you have in game situations. And Zach Wilson is not Aaron Rodgers. Zach Wilson is a guy that uh, he can create some splash plays by utilizing his athletic ability. Now, is Trevor Simeon on that level? Absolutely not. And and Robert Sala was correct by not blowing up Trevor Simeon because Trevor Simeon is a career backup. And he was brought in to be the third guy, uh, not to compete with Zach Wilson, with Aaron Rodgers or starter. He was brought in to be the third guy because he is a smart guy. He's an intelligent quarterback that can be a career backup if he's not asked to play. Um, and now he doesn't want him to play. Uh, so I just think in that regard, that was the best move for the Jets in the way Robert Sala handled it uh, going forward. But let's go to Chicago now um, of their coach. And I didn't personally think that his comments uh, about Justin Fields was that bad. I thought he kind of got caught up. He got caught up with saying he's, he'll probably be doubtful. Um, he's, he's been back. His accuracy has gotten better. So he's been, he was trying to actually hype up Justin a little bit because he saw seeing what Tyler Brigat was doing, but he's trying to get his franchise guy to look like he's working his way back. Now the question was asked, is he going to play? And basically at the end, he said, no, he's not going to play. So it wasn't that bad to me, but a lot of people took it as if he doesn't want Justin to get out there. He's going to roll with, with, was it Bajit? Um, the quarterback that's been out there, uh, you know, he, he's done some good things, but is he on Justin Fields level? No, he's not. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't, I raised my hand as one of those people that didn't take it that way. Uh, because I took it like, what, what, what am I watching here? Uh, it was okay, guys, look, uh, Justin Fields, not playing Tyson Bajan is starting. Right. Cool. Thank you, coach. Uh, two seconds later. And, you know, but that doesn't mean that Justin Fields not improving. He's getting better. Uh, we're looking forward to his return. So he's doubtful for this game. Right. Well, wait a second. Now you just said he's not playing, but now you just said he's doubtful. So is he doubtful or is he out? Oh no, he's doubtful. He's definitely doubtful. We're listing him as doubtful. Oh, okay. So he's doubtful. Yes. So he's playing. No, he's not playing. He's out. It's like it, this went on for like 10 minutes of he's doubtful, but he's out. Right. But then why don't you list him as out? Because he's doubtful. And and what I would say to you is an NFL head coach in season is the spokesman for the entire organization. True. He, he is the forward facing person in in the community, in the media, on the sideline, everywhere. He is the guy. Right. And if he cannot get something as fundamental as your player is doubtful or he's out, because the way he should have handled it was, guys, 
Um, Justin is doubtful. And I'm done. I'm not talking about he's Move out on. what my plans yeah. is and this he's doubtful. Watch the injury report that comes out in 10 minutes. We're right. done. We're done. Yeah. But uh, uh, this guy's coached for 30 years, Matt Eberflus, and he's good at what he does as a defensive coordinator. Right. But being the head coach is more than, than just being a coach. You have to be the spokesman. And he has struggled this year at times in that capacity. Well, it's, it's a lot of pressure for a lot of new head coaches because you're put in a situation where you're not just leading the troops in the locker room, uh, in the meeting room, and then come out on the football field. There's been a lot of questions that have been raised, um, you know, from this season alone of, of taking over. Why is your defense so bad? You're a defensive-minded guy. Like, you know, what's going on with your offense? You know, Justin Fields isn't comfortable. Why is he getting outside the pocket? It seems like now we're trying to create something that's just not there with him. Uh, then all of a sudden they get things rolling offensively. Defensively, they're creating some turnovers. And then Justin Fields has a game that's kind of subpar, but he gets hurt. Then you bring in your your backup quarterback who, who no one has a clue of who he is. He he wins a game. The, the whole team looks great. Everybody's riding the wave. Uh, nationally, oh, this guy, you know, he, he looks like a sound quarterback, and then now they're trying to put Justin Fields on the back burner. Then reality happens. They go out to California, don't play well. Um, now, just decisions that you made, uh, what's going on with your team. Uh, then then now we're at this particular point where so much pressure's on his shoulders. And I think what the, a lot of these coaches get caught up in is they're trying to be friends with the media. And so it's like trying to have a conversation and then you have a couple media members that are just like, so is he going to play or not? And it's like, ah, uh, well, ah, uh, ah, uh, he, no, he's not going to play. And it's like, listen, say your piece, keep it short and move on with the next question. They don't understand that as young coaches, new coaches, because now it's like trying to be the cool guy. And then now you got to put your foot down. And it's like, wait a minute, you just said something else not even two minutes ago. And so I look at it in a sense for an inexperienced coach. It's a little different than Robert Sala because Robert Sala has been the head coach for the Jets, and he's had to go through this in New York, which is tough. Uh, but being in Chicago is also tough in the media as well. But that's let, my my opinion on it. Let, let me say this. If the Chicago Bears were good under Matt Eberflus, if right. they were winning – um, he would get Matt away Eber, with it. right. He could come out and say, Guys, I'm coaching this next game in a thong, and <laughs> you know, that's what I'm gonna do. And oh, questions, right? And no one would question it because, hey, the coach who is kicking butt and whose team is winning a lot of games wants to coach in a thong, okay, <laughs> you know. But the problem is on the field, the Chicago Bears are really bad. And so anything that Matt Eberflu says gets questioned. Anything because your record is what two and seven or something. Yeah. It deserves to get questioned because you're really bad. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, being from Chicago, it's about the Bears first. It's about the Bears and, and football fans out there in Chicago are, are highly upset because of the way things have been going over the last couple of years 
We felt like it would change, turn the corner a little bit with the new GM, some of the acquisitions this offseason, and coming into the season thought things would be a little bit better, and it just hasn't. But let's move out down south to Carolina with Frank Wright uh, and his slow start. Uh, and the Carolina Panthers brought in Frank Wright after he was fired uh, in Indianapolis, thinking they would change things around, get the first pick of the draft uh, with Bryce Young. They just haven't fared well on offense. They, to me personally, they don't have the athletes uh, at the offensive line, nor do they have the help uh, outside besides Adam Thielen uh, at the wide receiver position. Running back situation, I think they're okay, but they can enhance that. Defensively, they have some some studs on defense, but they haven't been consistent. Is this it for Frank Wright, you believe, uh, uh, one year and done? Look, I, I covered a one-and-done coach once upon a time. Cam Cameron went one and 15 one year, and goodbye. <laughs> See you later. Sorry. Uh, go live off the contract. Uh, but you're not going to be on our sideline. And right. Frank Reich has way more um, gravitas than that because he has taken teams to the playoffs, I think, three times. And so it's hard to think Frank Wright gets only one chance in Carolina, uh, who, by the way, plays the Bears tonight. And boy, <laughs> am I excited about watching that game. Um, anyway, the, the, the point is, Frank Wright, you're not, it's not translating. They probably picked, it looks like so far, so far, they picked the wrong guy to be their number Leader. one pick right oh yeah uh and he's already given up the play calling on offense the defense is like 26th in the nfl in scoring uh a lot of things are going wrong in carolina to where an impatient owner might say wait a second what and so i wouldn't dismiss it out of hand as he's a first-year coach whatever happens is fine we have to monitor this situation. I think we do have to keep an eye on it. I'm going to mention something that you, you brought up in that whole conversation of if they're wondering if they made the right choice. And I'm going to tell you from a personal standpoint, I'm going to tell you why I think they picked Bryce Young. Because remember when the Mannings came out and they were, you know, this whole conversation and a lot some of these analysts were talking about that uh, C.J. Stroud did not go to the Manning camp. Uh, when they came down on C.J. Stroud, talking about he turned down uh, the Manning family and and he should have been there. Bryce Young was there, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and basically, C.J. Stroud told everybody that I was preparing myself for the for the NFL draft and preparing myself uh, to be ready. Uh, and everyone kind of, oh, well, you, how could you turn down the Mannings? And everyone made it as if C.J. Stroud was a bad guy. Uh, not, a, not a bad quarterback, but a bad guy. He's to himself. Um, he's kind of arrogant, whatever it may be. Well, now they're on the football field. And C.J. Stroud is an MVP candidate. Let me repeat that one more time for those who are listening. C.J. Stroud is an MVP candidate. He's number one right now for rookie of the year in my eyes. Uh, the way that he's changed things around on the offensive side uh, for the Houston Texans, has made them really relevant in the AFC South. Uh, they're four and four right now. Statistically, he has less than, I believe, three interceptions. Um, 
He's got double-digit touchdowns. His QB rating is up there, I think, in the top 10. Yards, he's in the top 10 or top 6. Um, and he just looks the part. Not as a rookie, but he looks the part. So now I think the comparison with everybody between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, that question is always going to come up because the one and, one and two quarterbacks are always compared to each other throughout their career, is did Carolina pick the right guy? And so from a personal standpoint, Armando, I'll ask you, do you think C.J. Stroud would have been better in Carolina's offense than Bryce Young? I like both of those guys. Uh, I thought coming out, I agree. right? I, I mean, I was a little concerned, and I still remain that way about Bryce Young's his size. His height. Uh, his size because of durability, right? The, right? It's a big boy sport, and he he's not a big boy. He is uh, like five eleven, six foot maybe, and kind of kind of thin and not exactly super quick mobile to get out of the way. Right. Uh, and he's already been injured this year. So right. there's that. Uh, so I like CJ Stroud a little bit more because he's a little bit bigger, but I like them both. Right. And you raise an interesting question. Would CJ Stroud, who's thrown 14 touchdown passes, only one interception, he's on pace to tie Tom Brady. Tom Brady who in 2016 threw 28 touchdown passes and two interceptions. So it's the same interception uh, touchdown ratio. ratio. And Tom Brady did it like in year 16 of his career. This is game seven or eight of CJ Stroud. And he's right, right there. Um, dude, I don't know if, if you put C.J. Stroud in Carolina, he is that good. But what he did the other day, uh, 470 yards and like brought the team back in a, in a fourth quarter comeback with 40 seconds to play the winning touchdown pass. That was that was like grown up, you know, 10 year veteran type stuff. And it's hard, to, it's hard to believe that he would be struggling just because of the system. Well, I mean, uh, again, I, let me give a shout out to D'Amico Ryan as well, being a young coach coming in, um, playing in in Houston, obviously played also a couple other, other teams in the NFL, was uh, under Robert Sala uh, as a defensive coordinator uh, at San Francisco. Robert Sala then took the head coach. He took over for the job. Now being the head coach, you know, big kudos to the way that he's brought the energy and preparing this organization and those players to be ready to compete each and every week. Uh, so it's been exciting. But as far as the MVP candidate is concerned for CJ Stroud, I, I love what he's doing. I think he's on pace and he should be mentioned with some of the top, top players uh, in the league, but let's stay on that MVP race uh, in your eyes. Give me your top three MVPs right now uh, in the NFL, Armando. So, uh, look, I, I think Lamar Jackson right now at the halfway point, we've, we, it's 272 games. We've played 136. We are exactly at the ha halfway point. Um, Lamar Jackson is my guy. Uh, Number one. Because to me, MVP is not necessarily the best stats. It, it's 
you're on a great team or very good team. And if you're off that team, the team collapses. (laughs) (laughs) The Ravens are a great team right now. They have absolutely uh, bottom spanked a a couple of uh, division leaders the last couple of weeks. And in Seattle and uh, somebody else that they beat very badly, Detroit. Detroit. Right. But if you take Lamar Jackson off that team, they're not even a middling team. And we know this. Why? Because the last two years, he's come off that team with injuries at the end of the year. And they became what? A middling team. So uh, to me, he's the guy. um, Tua is in the conversation. Of course, Mahomes is in the conversation. I don't think there's any defensive player who's in the conversation right now. You wouldn't Uh, put TJ Watt in there? Uh, no, I wouldn't because, I mean, he is, he's in the top five, maybe the top seven, Yeah. but, but, uh, if the Pittsburgh Steelers had Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, who would be their most valuable player? Patrick Mahomes. So if you can't be your own team's most valuable player, how are you going to be the league's valuable player? Uh, I guess my brain works funky ways like that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, look, I'll, let me add to that. I'll, I'll add to that. And I'll, I'll say my top three are. It's hard because it's, it's I love the Lamar Jackson pick. Um, the Lamar Jackson pick, I think what may hurt him will be, I think, the start. But you can say the same thing about Joe Burrow. Uh, Joe Burrow, the start of the season to where they are now. I think Lamar has a lot more on the resume um, over the last four or five games. Um, I think Joe Burrow is more in the last three and a half, four games. And so I have both of them uh, in in my top three. Um, I also have A.J. Brown in, in that, that range. And I put AJ Brown instead of Jalen Hurts because Jalen hasn't hasn't played um, the way he's played last year, and expectations are a lot higher coming into that next season. Um, and he hasn't played up to that. Is he a top five candidate? Oh, absolutely. Jalen Hurts and Tua, I think, round out um, the top five. Where you have AJ Brown to me is number one. Lamar Jackson uh, is number two. Uh, Joe Burrow is number three, and then Jalen and Tua. Uh, and I put that in in a sense where people say, well, what about Tariq Hill? And I, you know, I think what, what Tua has done uh, so far versus what they want to look at the losing teams, um, but also I look at the winning teams. Uh, he had a great chance of beating the Philadelphia Eagles. There were a drop, there was a drop ball by Tariq Hill that would have put them, I think, tied the game or put them less than three. Um you know, there were a uh, couple calls that should have been made that they didn't make uh, with pass interference for all the Cedric Wilson on the sideline that would have kind of changed things around uh, for Tua. But when I look at what A.J. Brown has done so far, I think A.J. Brown has continued to be a focal point but being effective in that offense. His relationship uh, on the field uh, with Jalen Hurts. And I mentioned something early on where I thought the offense changed after the spat on the sideline with, with Nick Sirianni, A.J. Brown, then obviously Jalen came in. 
and that led to uh, I think that was the Minnesota game. Then they didn't play very well, and then the the Jets game. Uh, we all seen that it just kind of imploded. And then after I made the comment, remember things started to open up a little bit more. Started to open up a little bit more. Devontae started getting the ball. Dallas Goddard started getting the ball. Then all of a sudden, now you got your running back starting to be a little bit more for, effective. So um, he's still coming out with six catches, a hundred over 125, because I think he has had a record for five or six games with 125 or more. But yet still, other people are starting to step up. And so I love the consistency of what A.J. Brown has done. Lamar Jackson has been outstanding, and I'm so glad he's answering the critics that continuously talk about him, his passing, and it's about winning and losing, and people need to understand that. Joe Burrow has been amazing in the last three and a half, four games. Um, and then I mentioned Jalen and Tua. So I think I put A.J. Brown number one uh, in my eyes. So maybe you should be the MVP because it's when you said you said uh, you know that AJ Brown was was getting too much attention because of his you know sideline antics. Right. Then things changed a little bit, but right. two, three things. Number one, uh, Tyreek can't be the league MVP when he's not his team's MVP. He is right. maybe the first or second best wide receiver in the NFL right now. But the Miami Dolphins can win without him. They cannot right. win without Tua. Number two, the MVP voting happens, and I know because I'm a voter, happens the first, the week right after the season. It's like two days after the end of the regular season, that's when you vote, or that's right. when we vote. And so Joe Burrow's start, Lamar Jackson's start, that was a long time ago. Right. Uh, for for me anyway so i consider the you know the current thing the current thing joe burrow has a good excuse he was injured it's not right. like he, he was sucky and all of a sudden you know the light bulb came on no the guy couldn't run by his own admission uh so i i i would i would kind of uh you know let joe burrow get a pass on the bad start um uh, that's just me and I matter because I have a vote. And then, then the other thing is um, on Lamar, the whole idea that he's not a good passer. Do you know who leads the NFL in pass completion percentage? Yes. Yes. Lamar. But but this is the thing. This is the funny thing you bring it up. If you look at him over the years, he's been effective passing the ball. Now, it doesn't matter if he's, uh, effective passing to receivers or tight ends because that's been a staple of their offense. They can't seem to have their whole receiving core healthy. And so I don't look at it in the sense of that. I laugh when people want to talk about if, if Lamar is a passer. Lamar's a winner. At the end of the day, it's about winning. When you're effective at making those three plays in the game to help your team win, that's what makes quarterbacks who they are. I mean, if we want to look at numbers, we'll look at Justin Herbert. But nobody's putting Justin Herbert in in, in the uh, MVP category. Like, not to slight Justin Herbert by any means, but it's not about the numbers. It's not about the numbers. It's about winning and losing and making those three plays in the game to help your team win. <laughs> Justin Herbert, it just cracks me up, that guy. Just, you know, the big, 
Yeah, sorry. My bad. Oh, you took it there. But make sure you tune in to the five spot. We will continue to hit more and more topics as we go along. There's going to be such an important weekend throughout the rest of college football, decision-making coming down with Michigan, uh, some big and critical games this weekend for college football. The NFL, we'll see if the NFC can continue to stay strong as the AFC now starts to climb. Uh, answers will be we'll be thrown out there with the Kansas City Chiefs and their wide receiver position. Who's number one? What's going to happen? But make sure you tune in Tuesday here at the Five Spot. Thank you.